Today on this third Sunday of Advent, we continue our Advent series from generation to generation uh, as we, we think about the ways in which the story, this most wonderful story we have and we hold, has been shared with us by those who came before us and that will pass on to generations that come after us. Today to do so, uh, to dive further into this, this theme, we turn to a Christmas story. That's Matthew's Christmas story, Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, which means we get a little different side of the story than we're used to with Luke's, which is usually where the church focuses um, its understanding of, of Jesus coming into the world. The thing to remember with Matthew is that with Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, we get Joseph's side of the story, as opposed to Mary's side of the story, or the emphasis on Mary you get in Luke's gospel. In Luke, the focus, of course, as I said, is on Mary. We get singing angels, we get shepherds, we get a baby in a manger. But for Matthew, the focus is on Joseph. More particularly, how will Joseph respond to his role as Mary's fiance? as well as his role to raise the Son of God. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel, beginning with the 18th verse. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he didn't have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You know, friends, there's a lot of wonderful wisdom in the native traditions of our country and, and continent that I'll admit I know very, very little about. But each time I learn something from one of these traditions, I'm truly amazed at the beauty and the power um, with, within uh, these communities, within these tribal traditions. In our resource for this series, I learned about a philosophy within the Iroquois tradition called seven-generation thinking. This philosophy seeks to show how the world in which we live has been impacted by decisions and actions of those who lived seven generations before us. 
Likewise, this philosophy also emphasizes how the choices and decisions we make, the way we live our lives, will dramatically affect those not just in the next generation from us, but in the seven generations from us. There's a really neat iteration of this kind of thinking that's taking place right now in uh, one of our national parks, in Yellowstone National Park, which is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. A conservation group called Yellowstone Forever is encouraging those who love the park to buy what they are calling an inheritance pass. Purchasing this inheritance pass gives the person an annual park pass for the year 2,172, 150 years from now. Though they give you one for the next year as well as, as a, a complimentary pass. The point is that this pass will be passed on to your heirs, that you yourself won't get to enjoy it, but likely your children won't get to enjoy it, but at least a couple generations from, from you will get to, to do this. And, and buying this pass helps fund conservation efforts to ensure that the park is still there and thriving and a natural place of God's beauty in 150 years. I think it's a really neat way of thinking seven generations from now as 20-ish years is, is typically how a generation is, is measured um, by anthropologists. So 150 years, give or take, you can round up close enough, right? This kind of generational thinking, friends, of the decisions and actions of one's ancestors affecting the present as well as our own actions affecting the future, I think this kind of generational thinking is vividly present in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. We began this series a couple weeks ago with the very beginning of Matthew's gospel. Do you remember how it began? With the begats, with Matthew's genealogy. That's the way he begins his gospel. And remember in Matthew's story, the focus is on Joseph. The genealogy in Matthew is linked, not through Mary, but through Joseph. And why? Because Joseph is the ancestral link to David. He is the source of the genealogy that begins Matthew's gospel, so it is no surprise that the account of Jesus' birth would occur through the perspective of Joseph, the very heir of David. Now we'll see how Joseph, the heir of this motley crew that is his family tree, will respond in the midst of a crisis. See, his fiancée, Mary, is pregnant before marriage. How will he respond? Well, how would anyone have responded in this time? It certainly would have been a shocking revelation, one filled with scandal. After all, in his genealogy, we learn that there's quite a bit of scandal in his ancestors as well. Matthew tells us, though, that Joseph decided to do. And what he decided to do was the honorable thing of the time, what a righteous man like Joseph would do. He was going to call off the engagement quietly to try to save Mary and her family from any kind of ridicule or consequence. This was his plan until an angel comes to Joseph in a dream. And how does the angel address him? 
son of David. All this family stuff is linked. Son of David, do not be afraid. All this is taking place to fulfill what Isaiah said so long ago. Big things can be expected from this child. He will save Israel from their sin, so you will call him Jesus, Yeshua, salvation. Joseph awakes from his dream and does just as the angel tells him. He takes Mary as his wife, and their child is born, and he is named Jesus, Joshua, salvation. Dreaming Joseph. This really is a a, a kind of biblical throwback of sorts. You know, the kind that we're seeing in all these movie and TV show reboots, where there's a common thread, whether it's a character or a place or a theme, that links the stories together, that links the original with the reboot, even though it is a new story taking place, there is some common rooting in what happened before it. When Matthew's first audience meets another dreaming Joseph, they remember back to Genesis and Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, whose dreams both get him in a bit of trouble, but also help him secure the future of God's people. Matthew's community was rooted in the tradition of Israel, and they knew well that when a Joseph dreams, God is up to something big. And here, it is through a dream where this Joseph, son of David, does something big and unprecedented. He no longer will do the so-called righteous thing of discarding his fiancée quietly. No. He steps up, stands up, speaks out, and accepts God's call to be Mary's husband and raise the very son of God. Every year about this time, there's a lot of emphasis and focus on Mary. And she gets her due this time of year, and I'll tell you, rightly so. But probably, and this is probably because of the church's emphasis on Luke's Christmas story, and because of this, the effect is that we often overlook Joseph, his side of the story. And what he does here is impressive as well. Baptist pastor Daryl Hamilton wrote a beautiful reflection on Joseph as being a model for fatherhood today that I got quite a bit out of personally. Hamilton says it's not by DNA, not by DNA, but mutual affection and interdependence is a father eternally bound to his children and vice versa. Even though Mary was chosen to be the God-bearer, Joseph was commanded to be the God-rearer. Yet this relationship would not go only one way, because Joseph's own survival and flourishing would not be the same without his child also being there to shape him. It's after Jesus' birth, friends, that Joseph will dream again, and he is warned to flee with his wife and child to Egypt to avoid the wrath of King Herod. Remember, whenever a Joseph dreams in a Bible, God is up to something big. Joseph, though, isn't just impressive because of his dreams, friends. Joseph is really a model of faithfulness. 
because he follows God's call even though it might cost him his reputation and his standing within the community given his marital predicament. Sure, he had a visitation from an angel to try to prod him along the right path, but don't let that discount his decision, friends. There are plenty of times in which people today know deep down how God would have them respond to a situation or a crisis or a dilemma. And instead, they respond by choosing the easy way, the conventional way, the so-called righteous way, the way of the status quo. Instead of choosing the so-called righteous way of his time, Joseph chooses a better way. He chooses God's way. In doing so, Joseph is tasked with the role of raising God's own son and ensuring his safety and flourishing. In this merry and joyful time of year, friends, when we are tempted to overlook the problems of the world, Joseph is a witness to a different way, a better way, to dream, to listen, to stand up, to speak out for a community and world that is more loving and more understanding. In this chaotic time of year when the events on our calendars and the demands keep piling up and piling up, Joseph is a witness to a different way, a better way, a way which pauses and asks us to pause, to reflect, and pray that we might clearly see how God is present and at work here among us right now, even and maybe especially in the crazy chaos of our world. In our first reading from the prophet Isaiah that John read for us, we get a glimpse of what the world looks like when we choose this better way. The wilderness becomes a lush valley of life. Water bursts forth even in the middle of the desert. Eyes are open, ears are unclogged, pain, sorrow, sadness are wiped away forever. And what's in the midst of this new landscape? A road, a path, a way, a way through the wilderness that will be known as the holy way, God's way, or a better way. Joseph is a witness to God's way, and Isaiah tells us what it looks like when we choose it. Now all we need to do, friends, is respond. We must choose a better way that the community and world which our children, grandchildren, and so on for seven generations or more will inherit might more closely resemble God's reign of peace, of love, of justice. Friends, I'd like to do something I hardly ever do. I can probably count on one hand the times I've done it in 15 plus years of preaching. And that is, I want to conclude this sermon with a poem. This is a poem that's written by the Reverend Sarah R. Speed as part of our Generation to Generation um, resource. I like to think it's part poem, but also part guided meditation on how we might live into this Advent message of choosing a better way. May this poem stay with you as it has for me as we go onward to Bethlehem, that we might choose a better way. 
that we might stand up and speak out for a world that is more loving, more just, and more kind in the face of contrary winds of our day. Friends, I invite you to please receive this reading entitled, Instructions for a Hard Choice. First, you must take a deep breath. Let oxygen dance through your lungs and exhale it slowly. You can do it. Allow the hurt, the shame, the anger to rise up in you. Let your mind run wild like a million loose horses. Let the narratives unfold, unroll, a river of choppy water. Ask yourself how you got here. Look down at your feet. Roll your shoulders back. Remember who you are. Take another deep breath. And walk it back to the beginning. Instead of looking at your feet, Look at your neighbors. Imagine where they stand. Imagine what they need. Dry the river of false stories in your mind. Turn rushing water into a dry creek bed, certainly not clean enough to drink. Call the horses, bring them home. Watch as they shake off the dust of the day. Name what you're feeling. Inhale again. Now you're ready to choose a better way.